Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Friends of Carrie. We're back again. <laughs> what is this? Is it our 15th episode? Oh my episode? God. Never let anyone tell you that something is too niche for a 15 episode podcast series. Never. But this is a short one. Yeah. We're just <laughs> popping into your feed with a quick plug. Yeah, sorry. This is my fault. Because your book is finally out. Oh my God. This is terrifying. <laughs> the World According to Chris. Oh, that's That should have been the title actually. Why, why was it not? <laughs> Um, I've got an idea. Oh, God. Is this going to be like that time we got kicked out of the London Dungeons? Yes, similar. Although I will maintain to this day that our recreations of ancient torture scenes were more realistic. Mm. And those people shouldn't have had their kids there anyway. (laughs) So, um, right. We've interviewed all these people for Carrie over the last two years. How many do you reckon we interviewed? I think the last count, it was about 120. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. (laughs) What's wrong with us? Anyway, I am going to interview you oh my god i'm nervous this is terrifying (laughs) (laughs) so i want to start but at the very beginning yeah very good place to start yeah um how did the book come about wow well um it's i can't firstly i can't believe it's actually happened it's it's a bit incredible it's called out for blood I based on the podcast, <laughs> Out for Blood, but we've tagged on a cultural history of Carrie the Musical Culture. to make it sound intelligent. <laughs> no, um, I mean, as as I said previously in the, in the last episode, I think, we talked about Carrie for hours and hours and hours and hours, and it seemed even then that there were still kind of more stories to tell about mm-hmm. the show. You know, it was such a fascinating story, and the more people we talked to, the more introductions were made and we kind of met more and more different people from all different aspects of the show's creation and history. So it felt kind of like a bit of a domino effect. And to be honest, it was quite surprising that, you know, there weren't more books about this story out there. There's obviously um, Not Since Carrie, which the Bible, uh, which, um, but, you know, that book's been around a long time. It came out in 1991, which, you know, is only just two or three years after the show. I thought you say after the the original Bible. After the original Bible. (laughs) No, after the original musical. So, you know, that was sort of very contemporary. And I think there was a a sort of gap in the market, I suppose, Mm -hmm. for something that that looks back after all of these years, after 35 years, uh, and more in, in the case of the sort of early days of the musical's creation, as to how... A musical is made, mm-hmm. what kind of um, cultural factors affect what that show becomes. Mm. And then looking at the show itself, you know, going through it scene by scene, song by song, as we did, but kind of talking to people who were actually there yeah. on stage and watching it and backstage to kind of get a sense of what the show was like itself. Mm-hmm. And then talking about, you know, the the sudden closure. Yep. And then the legacy of the show, which we sort of touched upon in a, in a few episodes, but it was great to spend more time talking about the new version of the show and talking to the people who were involved in creating that. Um, yeah, so in, you know, it was it was a it was an amazing process. Look, I was very lucky in that um, the lovely Dom mm-hmm. O'Hanlon from from my publisher Matthew and Drama. Um, he'd listened to the podcast, and Dom is just this sort of vault of musical theatre knowledge and enthusiasm, um, and he could see the potential for um, for this book and. Um, um, 
you know, I, I love the publisher. Anyone who's done any kind of theatre studies in their life will probably be familiar, familiar with Methu yeah. and they produce such brilliant sort of theatre studies books and, and plays. Um, so it, it was suddenly happening. And basically, I sort of worked through um, the book in over the last year in my spare time, every waking hour of the day <laughs> alongside directing the musical, as, as I've talked about. And having a full-time uh, job. Having a full-time job, all that kind of stuff. Um, I hope that the book sort of feels like the sort of natural successor to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if people enjoyed the podcast, hopefully it's a nice kind of add-on with more people, uh, more stories in it. Um, and, you know, hopefully a bit of a spiritual successor to, mm. to books like Not Since Carrie and, and, and things like that. Hopefully it's, if you're a fan of Carrie or if you're even vaguely interested in the story, hopefully it's an interesting read about how the show kind of came together and undid itself and came back together in the end. Amazing. <laughs> so you saw a gap and you thought you'd plug it up. Oh, Come on. I see what you did there. Yeah. You've been waiting to say that for about five minutes. About five minutes, you? yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Saw the gap, plugged it up. <laughs> so who did you enjoy talking to the most? Was there anyone new that you hadn't spoken yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky in that, you know, the podcast had been listened to by a lot of people mm-hmm. and um, more and more people involved in the show had kind of become aware of it. And, you know, if we could go back in time, we'd love to be able to put all those people into the story of the the show in the podcast. But um, it, this was a great opportunity to kind of fill in the gaps, I suppose. Um, it was great to speak to lots of extra cast members, um, loads of people. Uh, kind of a bit of a treasure hunt, you know, trying to track down all of these people. Because this was a long time ago. This was, yeah. you know, 35 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and some people weren't on social media. So it became this kind of treasure hunt to try and track down people who may not even work in the industry anymore, but had these fantastic uh, stories to tell. It was great to talk again to Dean Pitchford, um, the lyricist on the show, who's just been um, a fantastic help in putting the book together and has this great memory um, and, and all of these fantastic stories. And also great to talk to the other two um, re- writers of the show, mm. um, Michael and Larry, who um, you know we weren't able to include in the podcast the first time round, um, but it was great to, to hear their side of the story too. Um, loads of people involved in the the musical side of the the show, which was really interesting. You know, the original orchestrators, the original music director, and also fantastic to kind of speak to more audience members, which mm. is one of the things you know we love talking to the audience members. Yeah. I remember um, from the original production, but tracking down people who had these like amazing stories to tell about seeing the show either here in the UK or on Broadway and how they responded to it was just it just kind of fills that gap um and sort of really takes you there I suppose and gives you sort of this this sense of what it was like to see this this unusual show um and it was also I loved talking to um people involved in the revival which again um you know we didn't have that much time in the podcast to talk to um many cast members it was great to talk to the cast who were involved in kind of reinventing the show because it was a very kind kind of um a sort of communal experience for them you know the the writers really opened themselves up to to kind of um adjusting the show and looking at new ways of of approaching the characters so it was great to hear about how all of that came about um and you know it, i think another thing i was i was surprised about when we did the podcast we sort of had to rely on the internet because we were still in and out of lockdowns mm. but it was a great chance to kind of go to physical archives and libraries yeah. and to see the sheer amount of press coverage that this show kind yeah. of garnered in the 80s and the kind of reaction it provoked amongst people especially when it was sort of announced that the RSC was producing this show yeah. you know there are just books and books and books full of this kind of vitriol from the press Mm. this insane reaction and then you know the sort of other end of that is when the show closed almost sort of 
articles about the reviews, you know, just scrapbooks and scrapbooks full of these sort of um, summaries of, of the response to the musical, which I think is really unusual. So to actually see, you know, from, a, from another time when the internet didn't exist, to actually see how the news and the media responded to the show was really interesting too. Yeah, that's fascinating. Have you ever thought about using your powers for good? Like, <laughs> you mean writing about something serious I, I and important? Mean, like curing climate change or something like you, if you put your mind to it, you, you get shit done. <laughs> <laughs> it is honestly, it's amazing. Like these people aren't, weren't in touch with each other and you, you know, reaching out, <laughs> finding ways to contact people beyond social media. Like it is, it's, I mean, I was, I was a, a passenger, passenger. There we go. That's Freudian. I, I was alongside you for the podcast, watching how you got these people back together and back in touch. But it's like it is a tremendous achievement. Uh, how you found them all. It's- I'd love to, you know. And the interesting thing about the show, as we've talked about many times, is that it was a cast made up from people all over the world yeah. as well. Um, and that meant, you know, there are lots of people here in the UK, but loads of people spread all over mm. America too, and all around the world as well. I'd love it if someone with more money and time than me could somehow get all of these people together in one place because it would be the best night ever I think because I think one thing that doing this podcast and writing this book has told me is that memory is really weird because Mm. you know this thing happened but people see it in people remember it in so many different ways yeah people's memories of these key events are so different but there's sort of this underlying kind of truth to it all and to kind of hear how people remember things and how they saw it at the time was a really interesting aspect of it Mm. and I think kind of goes to show it sort of makes you think you know we all live through these big things but you know people have these different perspectives on it and it was almost kind of like you know when you listen to sort of true crime podcasts and they're trying to kind of unpick these clues to try and work out what actually happened you kind of had to do that with this story yeah you know it was kind of like trying to figure out actually what happened because there have been so many sort of fables and things told about this show over the years and it's sort of blown into this slightly apocryphal version of the story Mm. so to actually pare it back and kind of talk to people who were there and sort of sift through all of that information and kind of get the real story was really interesting I think yeah really interesting I think that's that's I mean I, I remember occasionally we'd hit we'd have interviews or you know comments from people who had seen the show and they'd tell you about it and you'd be like that's factually incorrect like, that, that didn't happen <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. so entrenched in their memory that there was this moment or whatever yeah. and you're like it maybe it did it, for yeah. you it, in your the way that it lives in your imagination that happened and that's what you've taken away yeah. from it there's a bit of myth busting in in the book as well you know um a lot has been made about the make it like Greece story yes. Yes. which you know we we in the podcast we love talking about and it, yeah. we we sort of made light of it but you know when you actually think about it you know no one, you know, no one turned up to that dress rehearsal to find that everyone was wearing togas yeah. unexpectedly. Yeah. You know, it was, it, there's a lot more to that sort of story that, that than there is, than meets the eye, I suppose. So, so digging into those kind of tales and hearing about that, that sort of thing from the perspective of different people was fascinating too. You know, uh, unpicking that kind of urban legend kind yeah. of thing. And I think an interesting thing that you always have to remember is that despite this musical becoming, I guess, what, what most people would consider a flop Mm. in the 80s, huge amounts of hours were put into it. You know, this was hundreds of people's jobs for a good few years, Um, even though it was sort of condensed into this story about the show closing. There are so many kind of stories about people's lives in the build-up to those few days on Broadway that, you know, just kind of speaking to people and getting a sense of what they were doing at the time, what was happening in British theatre, what was happening on Broadway to kind of influence this, this kind of, 
cataclysmic event mm. in their lives was really interesting too. So I think that's where the sort of cultural context of it came into play and a kind of, I think, adding that layer of what was happening in the world and what was happening to people as they approached this this show was was really fascinating. Yeah. I think that is really fascinating. And also what you were talking about with that reaction culturally to people just being not the Royal Shakespeare Company, <laughs> like the, the, the sort of the how dare people try and make something joyful and yeah. American. <laughs> it, was, it was very strange. I think we sort of touched on this in the early episodes of the podcast, but, you know, the IRC was really short of cash because mm. its Arts Council grant was being pulled back. It was being encouraged by the government to find ways of being self-sufficient by doing commercial theatre and things like that. And then it did. And then everyone kind of attacked it for doing it. Mm. And, you know, it was a, it was an unusual choice for them to be doing it. But you can kind of see where they were coming from. They just come off the back of Les Mis, which had been, yeah. which eventually became, you know, hugely successful. So you can see the kind of approach they were taking. But yeah, yeah the, the response in the press. Wow. I mean, some diligent RSC press officer from the 80s has compiled these ginormous books of press cuttings in Stratford where they just have every single mention in the wow. press. So there's just reams and reams and reams of everything that mentioned Carrie. It's just, yeah, I sat there for hours reading it. It was just fascinating to me, probably not to anyone else, but there were people around me writing very important theses about <laughs> Othello and things, but there I was reading the Daily Express review of Carrie. Because <laughs> someone has to. Someone has to. Amazing. Um, so as part of your research are there any other did you come across any books or any other sources of inspiration that are friends of Carrie might be interested yeah I mean there are so many great books about musicals not only about kind of musical flops in in quotation marks but just about how musicals are made you know Mm -hmm. um, Not Since Carrie is the obvious one if you want to get a kind of very um, the sort of immediate reaction to what people were doing at the musical um, in the 80s and then Ken Mandelbaum who wrote that book then sort of sandwiches his review of Carrie with loads of other Broadway flops leading up to that point and sort of makes the point that he thinks nothing else will compare to poor Carrie in terms of um, musical disasters in the future. But um, there are updates to things like that. Um, Stephen Purdy, who wrote a fantastic book called Flop Music 20th Century, Mm. goes into quite a lot of detail about some very modern musicals that closed early. There's a very kind of light-hearted, quite camp book called Must Close Saturday. Sounds great. Yeah, by Adrian Wright, which is specifically about British flops. So I'm sure there are a few in there which you'll you'll recognise from our theatre-going days. Oh, incredible. <laughs> I'm sure you'll see a few uh, words. Too Close to the Sun made it I in? don't know if Too Close to the Sun was in there. I'll have to have a look. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very entertaining read. And then just in terms of making uh, of musicals, the art that were more successful than that, <laughs> um, it was great to kind of look at the different formats and, and how people had approached this. And I think, mm. um, you know, I was very lucky in that we had already kind of defined the format of the book in the way that we'd interviewed people involved in the show and Mm. I've kind of taken extracts from those interviews from the podcast and from new interviews that I've done to kind of do a sort of oral history of the making of the show if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but um, some great books about the making of musicals that I looked at Um, there's a book called which came out recently called Magic to Do which is about Pippin if you're a Pippin fan it's a great um, read about a very interesting kind of twisting uh, making of a musical tale. Um, there's a Making of Cabaret book by um, an author called Keith Garabian. I hope I pronounced his name right. Mm. Um, which, you know, again, ca- Cabaret has so many different versions and variations. Yeah. So if you're interested in kind of the complicated history of musicals, those two are great. And some really kind of useful resources were books written by people who were involved in the show. Mm. Now, Barbara Cook's 
book. <laughs> Barbara Cook's memoir is scathing about not just her experience in Carrie, but about a lot of the things that she did in her career. Right. It is a fabulous read. It's Amazing. extremely arch. Um, if you get a chance to read um, Barbara Cook's memoir, Darlene Love's book is really interesting because you know her career was was she did all sorts of stuff she yeah. you know she she uh, had worked with so many different people and again her experience in Carrie as reported in her memoir is not hugely positive she doesn't dwell on it she doesn't dwell on it it's a few paragraphs <laughs> it is literally a couple of paragraphs yeah. isn't it? but it's great to kind of read it from you know from directly from the people involved yeah there's a great book also that I'd recommend about Ralph Coltai mm. the, the scenic designer yeah. from from the 80s called designer for the stage which is you know it's full of these beautiful pictures of all of his um there isn't sadly anything in there from Carrie itself but he is well known for other things let's say um, he worked very closely um, with Terry Hands and other RSC directors through the, the 70s and 80s and there were some beautiful gorgeous um, photos of all of his set designs and you really get a sense I think of where that slightly odd set design for Carrie came from right. when you think about that set in isolation it's kind of a strange concept but yeah. when you see how he approaches design generally it's a really interesting kind of um, bit of context I think to That's look at that interesting. yeah and of course you know as well as books there's just a billion YouTube videos to watch you can watch you know the news reports you can watch the reviewers yeah um, there are all sorts of uh, bootlegs up there you know I think I say this in the book it's impossible to kind of write about this show and read about it without having watched it first I yes. think yeah. it's almost like you need to watch along with what you're reading I yeah. think so yeah, yeah, I yeah. sort of encourage people just to dive into YouTube and and go for your life and watch clips because there's so many of them. Amazing. And and what what's this? How's the book structured? What's the sort of structure? Kind of similar to the podcast, right. really. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of expands each section. I've divided it into three. Mm. So the first section is kind of about the creation of the show, and that goes back to the very early days of the writers um, coming up with the the concept for it and those kind of early workshops that they did, um, and then all the way up to to rehearsals. Then the middle section is kind of a description of the production in 1988, as we spent a good couple of episodes <laughs> doing ourselves. And then the last section, I guess, is about the legacy of it. So it kind of talks about those strange years after it closed where people were discovering it for the first time through bootleg videos and audio tapes and things like that. Um, and it's sort of got this groundswell of support. And I, I love that part of the story. I find, I've always found it really interesting as to mm. why this musical just didn't fade away. You know, why did this particular show kind of capture the imagination of people, I suppose? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the sort of groundswell of support and and some really interesting news stories from the writers about being approached by different people to do different new productions mm-hmm. through the 90s and the early 2000s and and always never quite getting to the point where they felt they could do that. Yeah. Um, still kind of slightly haunted by their experience, I suppose. Yeah. And then sort of rounding off with, as we know, the show being um, rewritten and, and, and kind of reassessed, I suppose, um, and that 2012 revival um, coming back and everything that's come since then, including my own experience with doing the show. So, yeah, a rough kind of uh, roughly similar arc to the to the podcast, but hopefully with a lot more material and kind of going off on all sorts of tangents around it. Amazing. I think that's that's also the yeah. I can't wait to I can't wait to read it in general. Uh, but I think the emphasizing the the, the the redemption arc of the of the story is so interesting. Yeah, considering like how. Any modern uh, drama school student, when they interact with with Carrie, you're like recently. I think Erdang were doing a production of it, yeah. and, and they, those students just have no con- don't really know of it as a flop. They yeah, know of it as exactly. This- 
part of the musical theatre canon. Exactly. I think, you know, I took that away from from directing myself is Mm. that, you know, very little time was spent talking about that 80s production and how much of a, you know, supposed disaster it was. But, you know, our company just felt like they were in a sort of new contemporary feeling challenging musical you know and it, it's it's really kind of it's a, it's a unique story i think in musical theater in mm. that there are these two very different versions of it and um it's it's a huge success and i think you know that that kind of redemption story as you say is so important to the writers and it's so nice to hear them being able to talk about the show mm. in a way that they're now proud of it and that they're they're pleased that people can perform it and that there's an opportunity for people to to kind of get a sense of what they were trying to create in the first place yeah. without it being laced with this kind of flop narrative i suppose but i think you know you can never escape from that flop narrative and i i don't think anyone's trying to rewrite history with that um you know it's it's they're, they're very humble and very honest and very open about their experiences uh, and what happened to them in the 80s as is everyone involved in the show you know people are really willing to talk about it now it's taken a long time for some of them to be able to kind of talk about it in in detail but mm. i think you can't have this new show without everything that came before it and i yeah. think that's been a really interesting exercise to kind of um to trace that that flow of the of the the story and and see how it's affected people over the decades yeah does it have pictures (laughs) (laughs) getting to the important story yeah yeah, it does have pictures it does have pictures you know i I, I was very lucky lots of cast members have dug out from their attics and their basements these amazing behind the scenes photos pictures from rehearsals pictures of them like hanging out and i was they gave me so many pictures and i I wish we could have got all of them in but i was just sitting there absolutely thrilled you can imagine my face just going through these photo albums because you know they were these young kids you know suddenly sent to broadway from britain and the other way around and they must have all had their little disposable cameras and things this is before phone cameras and things yeah you know and they're all pasted into these these albums like they've been on holiday and they're just like hanging out you know in the same way that we all take photos if you if you're ever involved in rehearsing stuff you know you end up with hundreds of photos of you of people posing in rehearsals and doing yeah. stuff so it's just like that and it's you know how could they have known that some weirdo in 35 years would want them to dig it out of their cupboard and and look through it and so yeah we've managed to include some of them again i wish you know we had endless pages to put them all in but there's a good smattering in there and lots of stuff that hopefully people haven't seen before oh exciting <laughs> i can't wait so i will obviously be getting a free copy well we'll discuss this we'll, um, we'll talk about it later okay this is awkward um people who won't be getting a free copy like me <laughs> uh how will they get theirs well we, as i say we'll talk about your um access to copies later but um it's called out for blood a cultural history of carrie the musical because mm. we have to give it its full title Love it. um and you can get it anywhere you buy books really you okay. can order it um, from your local bookshop they should be able to get it but you can also get it on you know amazon and those big type of you know that's quite terrifying it's not isn't it? a bell. um but also you can order it t- directly from the publisher bloomsbury okay. who um who run the methu and drama imprint Fabulous. you get it anywhere you like oh great i'll, I'll get multiples yeah exactly um and i just want to say before we go a huge thanks to everyone who you know has has helped and supported this project as it's gone along it's it's something i never thought i'd be able to do um, so huge thanks to, as I say, Dom and Sam at Methuen who've been uh, hugely supportive and helpful because I don't know how to write a book. You know, they've had to, <laughs> had to help me along. Um, I wanted to say thank you to John Putnam, who's a great big fan of Carrie and was a huge help in research and translation. Um, uh, we had a bit of stuff to translate in the book. I wanted to thank um, 
all of our friends because they've had to put up with me talking about it, haven't they, on our <laughs> WhatsApp group the whole time. Um, but everyone else who helped, um, you know, sent material to me um, and suggested new people to talk to. And especially I wanted to thank, of course, our little Out for Blood uh, family, not only our listeners who have been so wonderful, but um, but you, Holly and Tom, um, for, for, you know, I couldn't have done this without oh, all of the fuck. hours we spent um, putting together the podcast and all of the the hours we shared recording this this amazing story and all of the laughter we had as well because oh. it's been fun. Um, so thank you. Thank oh, you for thank helping you. Thank me make you. it happen. It's been an absolute bloody blast. It's amazing. <laughs> and, I hope you enjoy it. Oh my God, I can't wait. I honestly <laughs> cannot wait to read it. And yeah, I'm, ju- I'm just so incredibly proud of you and um, so so proud to have been involved in the podcast. But the, and the book is something else. It's something else. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I hope, I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. Don't get me wrong. I'm fully expecting there to be something horribly wrong with it. But um, let's see. It's happening. <laughs> Optimism. <so. laughs> well, you know, it's been, um, I think in years to come, people will look back on this interview and they'll be like, <laughs> Frost Nixon, Bashir, Diana... <laughs> Morgs and knobs talking about Carrie. It's it, that culturally relevant. I think this conversation. Do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I think it, we should probably terminate this interview here at yeah. uh, the time. I, I was trying to do a riff yeah. where I was like in line of duty or something. Yeah, yeah, I get um, what you're doing. Arguably, I've been at home uh, maybe too long. Yeah, um, yeah. It's nice to see you out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Fine. Do you need a book to read? I'd love a book. <laughs> What's a book? What's a book? I was reading. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, that that is it for now. That's. I mean, surely now, after all this time, we've said everything there is to say about Carrie the Musical. Never. Are Never. you sure? Mm-mm. Well, in that case, stay tuned because maybe we'll be back soon. Who knows? There is always something new in the Carrieverse. There is. We'll, I'm sure we'll dig something up to chat about at some point <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Bye. Well, goodbye. If you enjoyed this mini episode of Out for Blood, why not head back and listen from the start? You can also find some great pics and videos from our previous episodes on our socials at Out for Blood Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Out for Blood Pod on Twitter, if that still exists by the time this episode goes out. <laughs> because why listen to one episode about Carrie the Musical when you can listen to roughly 217? Yeah. Uh, out for Blood was hosted and produced by me, Holly Morgan. And me, Chris Adams. Sound engineering and editing by Tom Moores. Paddy Jervis is our audio consultant. Original music by Odin Ornhill-Marson, artwork by Rebecca Pitt, and childcare by Richard Hawkins. Buy Chris's book. Oh, it's got pictures. <laughs> oh, guys, where's my actual child? He's over here wearing that skin-tight cat suit thing you bought for him. It's, it's a, a unitard. unitard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.